Welcome to the first Intuition Podcast. On this episode, myself and Dave talk about mock exams. We share hints and tips on how students can use them to prepare for the real thing. As always, we recorded the session in front of a live Zoom audience. And if you'd like to join a future show, you can register for them. There's a link in our show notes. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the First Intuition Student Forum and Podcast. My name is Ben Borman, tutor and director at FI, and I'm joined again this evening by my good friend and colleague, David Malthouse. Good evening, Dave. Evening, Ben. And did you enjoy the, the bank holiday weekend we've just had? Had a lovely bank holiday weekend, three days away from work, away from the classroom. Did a, a day when we walked around uh, a relatively local reservoir, 23 miles, I think. Nobody actually clocked it in the family, but we certainly, because I guess with a reservoir, you either get all the way around or you don't to get back to where we parked the car. So we had a nice walk around there with the, the family and the dog. That 23 was miles? Yes. My goodness, that is a long walk, Ben. It was it was a lovely day for a walk, and it was one where we were just walking and chatting, and we stopped a few times for a, a, a cup of tea on the way round. It was lovely. Were you not tempted just to do a few extra miles and make it a marathon? Uh, I didn't really think about it that way. I did joke with the girls and once we got halfway round said, well, we could just take the shortcut and walk back the way we've came. But they're they're a bit brighter now as they've got a bit older. So they cottoned on to the fact that it would be quicker to keep going and walk the other half than mm-hmm. backtrack on our steps. Mm-hmm. How was your bank holiday weekend? Uh, it was good. I, I, the, the highlight of the week was um, a, an, an event that most people outside of this corner of Essex won't be aware of, but it was the, the Great Dunmo soapbox race where um, they shut off the town centre of Dunmo and, and there's, a, there's a hill that goes into the, um, into the town centre and people build kind of soapbox go-karts and then they get pushed down a hill. There's a few obstacles, a few jumps, crowds lining the streets, big screen in the big village, um, village green or cricket pitch uh, and where people can watch it. Loads of, of kind of bars and places to eat and things like that. So really, really good day. And it, and it was just nice to see the effort people have made into making their um, their soapbox vehicles. So we had um, the mystery machine was there. There was a a, a giant fire extinguisher. Um, there's a big skip company based in Dunmo, and they had a skip that went down the road on wheels. So yeah, really entertaining, really good fun. No spectacular crashes, which is what everyone goes there to watch. So everyone got down safely, which is great for the drivers, but probably less good for the for the audience. So that was really really good fun. And then yeah, just nice to spend time with the family. Um, so, yeah, really good to be back now, then. Back. We are now into full-on busy mode in the classrooms. I've been teaching so far this week. I'm doing a bit of a roadshow of East Anglia. I've had a day teaching tax in Peterborough. I've had a day teaching tax in Cambridge today. I've got two days coming up for the rest of this week teaching strategic business management in Norwich. Um, it's lovely to be back out. It's lovely to be meeting lots of different students and helping them prepare for their upcoming exams. I guess it's fairly similar for you and your guys in Chelmsford, Dave. Yeah, it's um, well, so it's kind of all all systems go with teaching in Chelmsford. We had the the news this week that um, our inaugural first intuition football tournament will be taking place at the end of next month. Um, so it will be we'll be inviting teams of accountants 
to come together uh, on a Sunday towards the end of June to to fight out who is the the best team of accountant footballers um, in, in the region. So I'm hopeful then that you're going to be sending a team down from Cambridgeshire to to try and well to do your best to qualify for the final. I've, I've been in class today, as I mentioned, but when I came out on one of the breaks, I could see some messages in our little instant messenger chat that we have with the other colleagues that I work with here in Cambridge. So, um, yes, the message has gone round and I'm pretty confident we will be able to get a side together to come and hopefully win your tournament, Dave. I, I think it'll be challenging. I've seen some of the uh, I've seen some of the, the, the guys from some of the firms that work around here and there are some I think there's some handy footballers amongst our students so i'm looking forward to it um it has been organized by our, our very own danny sutton who is our own accounts apprentice who's now nearing the end of his acca qualification he put together the um the schedule he's worked out the budget for it he's done all the work in terms of uh, 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 kind of organizing the the pitch hire organizing for the, it, very importantly he said we need lots of bibs and cones he's registered he's got three um referees coming along to referee the tournament so he's done a really really good job of doing it so now all we need is the the players to come along to do battle at the end of next month Nice one, Danny. Sounds like a project management skills day in the making there, using lots of the skills that he's developed being an apprentice at FI. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, as, as I said, we are now in the midst of serious preparation for upcoming exam sessions. And when we were thinking about a topic of conversation for tonight's podcast and forum, I selected and offered the idea of mock exams. Mock exams are something that come with most student courses. Everybody has got access to them. And something I'll be talking about is where you can go to access mock exams. But I'm not convinced students always use them to the best way for improving their chances of passing the real exam. Um, Dave, you've obviously dealt with many students over the years. What's your initial feeling on the use of mock exams that students have made? Really important. Uh, and I, I know that I've, I'm going to sound like a broken record here for anyone that's been listening to, to the podcast over the last two years. But I, I see question practice and in particular mock exams as being the most important tools you have to get yourself ready for the exam. And the analogy that I, I always use is is linked to sports. Uh, and, you know, if you were going to run a marathon, would you just you know, get up from the sofa and run a marathon? Or would you prepare first and practice running similar distances, practice running? Uh, you know, if you're running a marathon that's going up and down hills, you'd practice by running up and down hills. Probably if you were going to play football this weekend, you've never played football in your life. You would probably go in the garden, have a bit of a kick about and practice the skills that you need in that environment. Um, you know, if you're going to play a tennis game now, if I was being asked to play tennis next week, I haven't played tennis for about 10 years, Ben. So I would almost certainly, before I embarrass myself out on that tennis court, I would get a racket and a few balls and I'd find a local court and I'd probably take my kids down there and I'd just be hitting balls just to get used to playing again and getting in that environment. I think you've got to put yourself in the position that you're going to be in the exam before 
you actually take the exam. And I know a lot of people say, oh, it's sports different. Yeah, but I always think that your brain is a muscle in the same way that your arms and legs have got muscles. And if you don't prepare those muscles for the task that you want it to do, it's not gonna know how to deal with it come the actual event. And I get really frustrated when people say, oh, I'm not ready to practice questions. I'm not ready to do a mock exam. I don't think I'll do very well in the mock exam, so I'm not gonna do it. It's much better to do a mock exam and do badly in it and then learn from it than it is to not bother doing it at all. Because if you don't bother doing it, you're not practicing and rehearsing for the thing that you're actually going to do. And the data certainly backs that up. Um, our colleagues in the, the FI London Centre have analysed and released some data for ACCA students that they were teaching. And their stats show that ACCA students that did three mock exams and I'd caveat that by saying it didn't matter what score they got in those mock exams, just the process of actually doing the mocks. To do three mock exams before you sit the real thing, the pass mark went up to 93%. So the pass rate of 93% of students that did three mocks, irrespective of how well they did in those mocks, then did go on and pass the real exam. And if you compare that to the average ACCA exam, that's got a global pass rate usually of high 30s, low 40% of students, that's a significant improvement and weighting the chances of passing massively in your favour as a student. There is a, there's a, a really nice TED talk that I've watched a few times, which talks about high performing students, students that get really high grades and says that the, 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 the one thing that there's a such that the one thing was a really strong correlation between grades and doing something and it and the correlation is, is your grade is related really strongly to the number of practice questions you attempt so nothing else explains people getting high marks more or better than than people practicing questions they said that the amount of time you study for doesn't actually have that strong a correlation to the mark you get Okay, so you can, and we all know that you can spend a long time studying by reading your notes again and again and again and again and getting your highlighter out and post-it notes. But if you spent half of that time and just did question practice and did question practice right, and we'll talk about doing question practice right later, that's got a much bigger impact on your final score than just reading through a book again and again and again. But like everything, it requires planning. It requires giving yourself enough time to do them. And me and Dave are in the privileged position that we deal with lots and lots of students and we've seen things that work and clearly some mistakes that students have made over the years. I also engaged, as I said, I've been teaching in the classroom in Cambridge today and at my break times I engaged with some of the tutors that were in on their breaks as well and asked them for some input, some feedback on what they feel are the best ways to use the mocks. So I've come up with a bit of a list and if it's all right, Dave, I'd like to talk through them one at a time and maybe we can have a bit of a chat around some of the practical applications of what I'm going to suggest. So if we're ready, my first point, number one, is to actually use the mocks that are provided as part of your course. I know we've got listeners that are studying for many different qualifications, but all of our first intuition courses do come with mocks included. There will be mocks for SEMA or AAT or ICAW or ACCA, some in your folders, some on your online platforms. If you haven't got access to those that's built into your course, the awarding bodies themselves 
release past exams. You can use those as mocks. They also release some sample assessments. You can use those. But try and make sure the mocks that you do are in the format of the real exam you are sitting. Make sure they are also relevant for the syllabus of the exam you are sitting. And we're not going to get into the updates to syllabuses today. We've done that in previous episodes of the podcast. But um, the syllabuses do update from time to time. And so you need to make sure the mocks you are doing are going to be representative of the real exam that you're then going to sit for the real thing. So step one, fairly simple, but actually use the mocks that are provided. Dave, you've probably got a bit more background into why FI select the mocks they do. Is there any scientific reason why the mocks that we recommend are selected for our students? Well, they're selected because we are we're looking at the way that the examiner is going to test. So we know how examiners intend to test various different things we know within a range roughly how how those questions are going to be going to be structured we also know that the key things that examiners are going to ask and i mean the, the aat are brilliant at this the aat will tell you what they're going to be examining in task one what they're going to be examining in task two they'll tell you the syllabus areas that are going to be testing each of those and our mocks will be written to reflect that expectation. So if you sit one of those mocks, then that means that you are preparing yourself for the right kind of material in question one, in question two, in question three. If you go off and find another mock from somewhere else, do we know that that mock has been written with the same intention to really rehearse what you're going to do? And the, the second reason, and this is the reason that, that I forced myself to do them, is if you've got free choice of doing any set of questions that you like from a sample of 100, I would quickly flip through 100 and go, oh, I fancy that one. Yeah, I'll have a crack at that one. Because that question number one, I really like the look of. Don't like the question number one elsewhere. You know, and in fact, when I'm selecting you know, questions that I want students to attempt, I almost go through the opposite process. I go through, I like that question. So, you know, Students might like that question as well. Oh, that question looks nasty. I'd hate to do that one. Yeah, we're going to do that one then. Because putting yourself in that uncomfortable position of a difficult question that you're not expecting three weeks before you take your exam, it's much better to learn how to deal with it three weeks before the exam than see something like that on day one of the or on day one or when you actually take your exam. So uh, it's you know trust that you know, your provider, and if you select a reputable provider, they will be putting together mocks that reflect what you can expect in the exam. And then do the things they ask you to because you're not picking those questions, someone else is. So it's a much fairer assessment of how you actually fare in the exam. If you've got freedom of choice, chances are you'll choose the easiest exam to you, which means you'll artificially get a higher score than you would if you were thrown real curveballs in the exam that you weren't expecting. Fantastic. So that's a good introduction to point number one. Number two, then think about when you're going to actually do the mocks. This is something that really annoys me sometimes with students. They leave the mocks and leave the mocks and leave the mocks and then make a half-hearted token effort at doing them the day or the night before the real exam. That is far, far too late. Dave, I loved your sport analogy. We usually bring things back to sport at some point on the podcast. And you talking about preparing for the real thing. But if you're running a marathon, 
you wouldn't do your only other marathon distance the day before the real marathon. You'd kind of schedule that a few weeks out to kind of say, I'll build up to that. And then I will keep myself ticking over at that level in the, the week, the fortnight before the exam. So that there's no hard and fast rules, but when we are setting the dates for mock exams for students, we usually go along the premise of one before they start the formal revision phase. I think it's quite important to do a real mock exam early so you can start identifying weaknesses. You also get a feel for the real exam because it might be the first time you've really realised how it all fits together in the exam or the format of the exam that you're going to be doing. So one relatively early, I would say anywhere kind of six to five weeks before you're sitting the real thing, usually. Then you go into revision mode. You can start working on individual techniques. You can start working on questions in individual areas. But I always like students to do a second, if not a third mock exam, about a week before the real thing. I think a week before the real exam is a really good time to do that second and or third mock, because at that point, you've still got a week to learn from it. But try and get out of the habit of doing a mock exam the night or the day before the real thing, because it's too late, too late to do anything about how you've done in that mock. And actually, therefore, means you've wasted it as a tool to give yourself a chance to do anything with it once you have completed it. Dave, what, what's your gut feel for timing of mocks? Well, if I give you kind of an example, I, I as, you, as you know, I run a, a, a boot camp course, as I called it for a group of ICW financial management students who'd been unsuccessful in their exam in 2021. We wanted to get them into the exam in March this year, March 2022. And so I came up with a, a boot camp where I, I initially gave them some, some tuition very early in January. And then I had a timetable scheduled of when I would catch up with them on a weekly basis all the way through to the exam. And then we, we factored a bit of face-to-face Kind of revision towards the end and the program went i saw them week one week two week three was reviewing the material from the syllabus then it was mock exam the next week mock exam the next week mock exam then they had a week's break okay then they were due to come to see me for some revision before they came to see me another mock exam then they had three days revision with me during the week and they finished that by going home and doing another mock exam. OK, so that was that was the, the structure that I put together to best prepare these students for an exam they needed to take. Now, I'm super happy to say every single one of those students went on and passed that exam. And when I spoke to them after they did it, it was the people that the people that I spoke to were all it was the question practice. It was doing the same, it was preparing myself an exam, doing mock exams again and again and again. I never would have done that on my own. I needed you to tell me to do them. But th that was how I structured that course. Now, that was for students that had already learned a good deal of the material before. They clearly weren't well enough prepared to pass the exam the first time they took it because they were unsuccessful, but they had a good deal of knowledge. Now, that would change slightly if you were learning it from scratch and you didn't know anything on the 1st of January. Uh, but my view was, you know, that, that three weeks or so worth of learning the, the syllabus, if you're learning from scratch, that probably expands to a month or two. Okay, But then definitely five, six weeks out, it's mock exam, mock exam, mock exam, mock exam. As Ben says, practicing your technique 
Okay, that's something that a, a good quality revision course is going to give you good quality relationships with your tutors. It's going to be able to help you to refine that. But just yet yeah, mock exams, and we'll talk about it in a minute. Doing debriefing and going through and marking your mock exam is as important as actually sitting down and doing it. Okay, so making sure that's done correctly. And you know, because I was yeah, I was doing it for my students, yeah, the marking was outsourced to our team and they did the marketing, did the feedback. If you're doing it yourself, that's where you need to probably give as much time to, to marking and giving yourself feedback as you do to actually doing the questions themselves. Fantastic. We'll, we'll get on to that debrief in a moment. But before we get on to it, my third point is to replicate the exam conditions as much as possible. This is really your chance to do a dress rehearsal. If you were doing a play, uh, a show you'd have a dress rehearsal and the name dress rehearsal means you put on the costumes the music is all there it's putting it all together for a dry run effectively and what you want to do is try and recreate as near to possible as what the exam will feel like on the day of the real thing so there's a few individual bits within this one actually the first one is time Guys, you don't need me to tell you the exams that you are studying for are notoriously time pressured. Yeah, it's part of the examination process in the world of accounting. They need to see how students cope under pressure. And one of the ways they can recreate that is by making the exams very tight on time. So if you're doing mocks, make sure that you know how long the real exam is and you set yourself a time limit of that time to do the mock exam. It's hard because most students would acknowledge I really struggled to get everything I wanted to do or could have done in the time. But it's much better to learn from that and develop in this phase of mock preparation than it is making those mistakes in the real exam. So if you've got a countdown timer on your smartphone, if you've got an Alexa, set yourself a two and a half, a three hour, whatever your exam time conditions are, timer and sit down and do it. The second element of this replication of the real thing is doing it on the format of software or computer package that the real exam will be in. I had a chat with some of our customer services team who deal with mock submissions today when I was in, and I was staggered to be told that some of our students do still upload handwritten mock exam scripts for our markers. And yes, we'll mark them, but actually, None of the exams that we teach for have been handwritten now for at least four years. And so you need to be preparing for what it will feel like on the real day using a word process package, using the equivalent of a spreadsheet, ideally using the official software package of the exam that you are doing. And most of the awarding bodies on their websites will have copies or downloads available of the real exam package so you can try and get a feel for what the exact exam will look and feel like on the screen as you are doing it. Um, Dave anything you would add to trying to make it as, as nearer a uh, dress rehearsal for the real thing as possible? Yeah, I, I agree with the um, with, with using the exam software that you're going to use. Um, you know, the, the reality is those bigger questions are, for, for things like ACC and ICW, it, it's going to be something that looks and feels a lot like Excel that you use at work. 
So using Excel is absolutely fine. Yeah, there's a few, a few odd bits of functionality in the way it's laid out, but using Excel will get used to the mechanics of actually doing the question. So we've all you know, hopefully got access to Excel at, at work. If you haven't, then just use a Google Doc. You know, it's got virtually the same kind of functionality uh, and you can do the same kind of things there. There are free bits of uh, spreadsheet software you can download if you don't like Google. So there's, there's lots of options to do that. It's just about putting yourself in that position. Then as Ben says, yep, set yourself a timer. Um, what, what I, um, I, I, in my classes, when I, I'm setting people, uh, when I've got people doing mock exams, I put a big countdown timer on the big screen at the front just to get them used to, you know, the amount of time they've got. I also think that seeing that, that, that time counting down, it adds a little bit of pressure, which, although it's not nice to feel under pressure, it's better to get used to it in a mock exam than it is to feel that time pressure for the first time when you go into the real exam room. So it just gets you used to dealing with that time pressure and the feel, feeling that time's running away from you. The other thing I would say, Ben, and this is something that um, I, I have come across where people have told me, I can't do a mock exam. And then I'll say, why can't you do a mock exam? And they'll say, I don't have the time to do a mock exam. And, and you know, I, and I, I, you know I, I lead a busy life. And if I had to try and find three hours of my time where there were no kids around, no family around, there weren't chores to do, that, that you know, I didn't need to run to the shops for anything, or you know, I didn't have work calls to make and things like that, it would be really challenging for me to find three hours to sit down in exam conditions and do a mock exam. You know, I, I, I you know, might be able to do it, but it would be difficult. So if you are in that situation, I would say, well, it, don't give up and say you can't do it, but just break it down and say, OK, this exam is 100 marks, 100 marks in total. And it's a, a three hours exam. I can't find three hours. But the first question I know is 50 marks and 50 marks is half of the exam. So if I could I get an hour and a half to do a 50 mark question and do that? under exam conditions. It's not the same as doing a full exam, but it's part way that it's getting you used to doing it in that time. Um, you know, we're gonna talk about it in a minute, but you, know, you don't need to mark and to debrief your question the moment you finish it. So 90 minutes, do the question, put it to one side, save the document. You don't wanna lose that, that Excel spreadsheet you've just been hard at work for 90 minutes doing. And then, you know, for me, it would be jump in the car, take my daughter to stage school, take my son to hockey, take my other son uh, to, to, to running club, then come back and then I could do the marking. So don't feel that oh, because I can't do three hours in a block, I can't do it. Think around, is there a way that I could do a bit of it and then another bit of it and then another bit of that. Brilliant tip, brilliant tip. And, and that's where you need to seek the support of the people around you, don't you? Speak to your partner, speak to your family, explain, I really need to try and find two and a half hours, three hours to do a mock because they will want you to succeed. Everybody will be happier if you are feeling prepared and more confident for the exam. And let's hope when the results come out, it is good news and a pass. So it's really a worthwhile investment for everybody to try and find that time to try and support each other. Um, FI centres are back open. I'll quite often have a student drop me an email saying, Ben, is there anyone in FI at the weekend? If there is a spare classroom, can I pop in for three hours because I can find some quiet space there to do my mock? We're always loving it when students come in. Just make sure you do contact the centre first to make sure somebody's going to be there and they haven't got every class being occupied already. 
but certainly I know the FI centres would love to support with that. Right, on to my fourth point, and it's something you alluded to, taking the debrief seriously. I think sometimes people actually do the mock, fine, spend the right amount of time doing it, and then do themselves a massive disservice by not doing a thorough and constructive debrief of what they've done and what the examiner indicates they should and could have done to score the marks needed to pass. So I think you just mentioned it. And my first sub point for this one is you don't have to do the debrief as soon as you finish. And in fact, I would suggest not, because if you've literally just finished a three hour exam, the last thing you want to do is then turn straight to the answer and the mark scheme at the back and start thinking about it. Your time is much better spent having done it, taking the dog for a walk, going for a cycle ride, popping to the shops, doing something else. As Dave said, saving your work, leaving it on the side to come back to later. When you come back to it, you'll be coming back to it with a fresh pair of eyes and a pair of eyes that are much more like the real marker will have when he or she is looking at the script that you've submitted. You won't be remembering what you think you've written. You'll actually read what they will read without that kind of all ensued into the question if you've literally just come off the back of doing it. I would suggest you look at the mark key. So most of the mocks you will find will have a mark key that's provided to the real markers who would have marked it. And it will give you indications of how many marks could be awarded. It will give you an indication of the points that would score marks. And I would use that to kind of have a go at marking your own work. We also produce, and the exam bodies themselves, produce model answer, suggested answers. Now, I'm not saying don't read those, but I have come across students that have tried to just rote learn model answers for previous exams and mocks. And that's really a big problem because I can guarantee the real exam you get will never be exactly the same as a mock. And the time and energy you spend rote learning a model answer doesn't actually help you understand what the question was about and understand how you could adapt your own thinking to deal with a slight variation on that question in the future. So when you're looking at the model answers, yes, read them, but focus more on the layout, the structure, the format than everything to the letter of what they have actually written. Dave, how, how would you suggest approaching a, a debrief of a mock session? Yeah, uh, I 100% agree with the, uh, the the model solutions. That the model solutions are written um, as an illustration to other markers of the kind of things that you could expect. The model solution isn't, in, in all cases, the perfect solution. It's not the complete solution. So although in a numerical a, a, a numerical exam, like a tax exam, the tax liability is the tax liability. So the, there, you know, the model solution is the perfect solution. If it's discursive, quite often there'll be other points that aren't mentioned. For me, as you say, the mark guide is the most important document that you have. It shows exactly what the examiner is giving and awarding marks for. That's what you use to debrief. And you go through and um, allocate your marks. And the thing that I always say is that when, when you're debriefing a question, look at 
which two points are you going to get right next time you do this question? So what two things are you going to do differently? Don't think, all right, I've done a 25 mark question. I've got seven out of 25. Next time I'll get 25 out of 25. That's impossible. You can't go from seven to 25. Okay, but you can go from seven to nine. And then you can go from nine to 11. Then you can go from 11 to 13. And yes, it's boring and it's a grind and it takes time, but that's the way we get better. We no one goes from seven to 25. No one goes from failing to winning a prize. Okay, you go through all of the different grades of, of scores on the way through. My last point on models on model answers, and, and this is something that I kind of saw in real time as I, I first, um, first trained to, um, to teach people accountancy. Um, one of my favorite subjects is the ACCA um, APM paper, the Advanced Performance Management paper. It's a wonderful paper, really, really good. And when I first started teaching, I, I taught that as one of my first advanced level papers. And there was a question that I remember to this day, the question was entitled the Eat Well Restaurant. And it was a question where they gave you a load of data about a restaurant and they asked you to use Fitzgerald and Moon's model of measuring performance to evaluate if that restaurant had performed well. And one of the things that you could have taken from the data as a measure of the quality of food that they served in the restaurant is you could have measured the number of instances of food poisoning that occurred in that restaurant and the exam the model solutions said that that was a possible answer that you could give clearly what happened is that when that model solution was answered was released some students did it exactly as you said and they wrote learned the model solutions they learned all of these the, these different measures of performance um, alongside Fitzgerald means they said next time this comes up and they ask us to evaluate performance of business I'm going to use all of these different metrics Okay. The next example was a housing association and some a group of students said a way to measure the, the quality of the housing that was being provided would be the number of instances of food poisoning that were recorded. And the examiner had a bit of a laugh in the post exam guidance uh, about how and some students had clearly memorized the previous exams model solution and said the number of instances of food poisoning would be a good way to assess the quality of some housing. It happened the next exam when the um, when the, um, the scenario was a sports center. So again, you can evaluate the performance, the quality of the sporting facilities by measuring the number of instances of food poisoning. It then went on to a dentist surgery where the number of instances of food poisoning were recommended. And then it just became a running joke. And there's about 10 exams worth of post-exam guidance that the examiner releases where he says, and yet again, students mentioned the number of instances of food poisoning. And it is something that, you know, that's the, the lead examiner that is being made aware of this. And they're being made aware of it because the markers are feeding it back. And the markers recognize when people are rote learning and copying model solutions from other exams. And if it doesn't fit, that's when they're then going to question your knowledge. And you know, I've seen it in other exams. We're told now that in the financial management papers, that if people say that something does or doesn't take into account the time value of money, not to award marks for it, because you can learn that. What they want to know is what is the time value of money? How does that have an impact? What, why does not including the time value of money? Why is that an issue for us? So if you say, oh, time value of money and expect a mark, 
you're not going to get it. If you say that this doesn't take into account the fact that cash flows in the future are worth less to us than cash flows today, bingo, you get your marks. Okay, so it's just something to watch out for. Read the post-exam guidance because all of this is in the examiner's guidance. Really fantastic tip there, Dave. Something I see in the exams that I teach for is ethics. And we're pretty standardised with five ethical principles that are the same ones, whether we're teaching SEMA or ACCA or AAT or ICAW. And the number of students I see that put in all five, just thinking, well, at least two of them will probably be in the marquee, I'll get the marks. That doesn't show the level of understanding that the markers are now briefed to look for. So be careful at just throwing everything into an answer, hoping some of it hits the mark key, because the sophisticated way the exams are now written and marked means that will not get you necessarily the marks that you need to pass. But following on from your point and leading nicely into my number five, look at the external support for that debrief. So, yes, you can debrief it for yourself. You can look at the model answer and the mark key and have a go at marking it for yourself. But also go back to your tutor, see if they have got any debriefs. A number of the debriefs now have been recorded on the FI Learn platform. YouTube has probably got some debriefs of previous mocks. So go and see if there's anything on there. For AAT students, join our free revision sessions where we do debrief sample assessments and mocks that we've written. Because seeing someone else break down a question, explain how they read it, explain what the requirements actually meant can be really, really powerful. Dave, you mentioned reading the examiner's comments. Read the comments read the tips that they usually put as a bit of an introduction. This question tested this. The main reason students failed was this. This bit was done well by all students. All of that is constructive learning for you to think, I don't want to be making the same mistakes over and over and over again that the examiners flagged sitting by sitting by sitting. If you can, get your work marked by somebody else. Now, I know not everybody's in the position to have someone that will mark for them, but in the FI centres, when we set mocks for students, we set them for deadlines. Now, we do that, one, because students acknowledge, as Dave said earlier, that they like us to give them some structure and a platform and a plan to follow, but we also do it because we schedule time around those submission dates for markers or tutors to be given time to mark the scripts as they come in. So please try and submit them by the deadline set because that should mean they hit the markers when we're expecting them to and the markers will turn them around, give you some perspective of how well you did and hopefully give you some constructive feedback on areas that you can improve on next time round. Final point from me this evening, my point number six. Mocks are a great way to tweak your exam technique. We talked about the dress rehearsal mindset, but it's much better if you're going to change something, you're going to adapt a slightly different approach to do it with a mock exam and see how it went. Did it work? Did it improve your score? Or was it completely the wrong thing to do? You would never want to be doing something for the first time on the day of your exam. I think particularly things that students ask me, approach to the questions. For most of the exams that you do, you don't have to start with section A 
and then do section B and then do section C. Or you don't have to start with question one, then two, then three. I'm going to caveat that by saying in most of the case study style exams, that is the way to go because the case study style exams, and I teach a number of those, work in a bit of an order of telling a story as you go through. But in the standard knowledge-based exams, you can jump through the questions. So quite often an ACCA student will say at their skills level, Ben, could I start with section C before I do the short answers in section A? And I'll always say yes, but then I'll say, well, have you practiced doing that first? Because the first time you do it shouldn't be the day of the real exam. You can tweak a bit with your time management. If you are constantly finding you are running out of time, leaving questions unanswered, allocate yourself slightly less time or do something slightly differently. But use your mocks as a chance and a bit of a safe space to experiment before you then go and do the real thing. Dave, any final comments on mock exams? I'm conscious that we are getting close to our seven o'clock for the, the live students that are with us this evening. No, I, I like that point about experimenting in mock exams. It's something that I've worked with a number of students on, particularly those final level papers where there are large scenarios to work through. And, and we played around with time management and looked at, well, if you spent, if you allocated 10 minutes of your time to reading and analysing that scenario and the rest of your time in that question to answering the question, how does that work for you? Okay, you, you don't think you're getting enough out of the, the, this scenario. So as a result, let's shift that from 10 minutes to 20 minutes and let's see how the quality of your answer changes. You don't wanna be going into the exam second guessing some of those things. Going into the exam with a plan that you know has worked in rehearsal and then you can roll out in the exam. It, as you say, it relieves one element of stress that you don't need to worry about because you know I'm going into that exam. I'm going to spend 15 minutes reading the narrative on the the the, um, the scenario back, uh, of the scenario, and then the rest of my time is divided between the different requirements based on the formula I've already decided. So that strategy you can you can hone and get ready for the exam. Brilliant. Well, I'm going to finish this session by saying use the mocks. Hopefully, take on board some of the advice. Some of that I hope will be useful to you in your preparation for upcoming exams. Let me and Dave, let your regular contacts at FI know how it's going. Keep checking in with us. If we can help and support you, please let us know and we'll do whatever we can to hopefully get you prepared as you need to be for the, the real exams that are upcoming. Thank you for listening. I'm going to hand over to Dave to do the final close down for this evening's podcast. Thanks a lot, Ben. And thanks to everyone that's chosen to download and to listen to our podcast. It means a, a huge amount to both Ben and I. If you are preparing for your exam right now, uh, and hopefully we've inspired you to, to get a mock exam out and to attack that mock exam, hopefully right now, um, why not reward yourself when you've completed that mock exam by going for a, maybe for a little walk or having a bath, listening to another episode of the podcast before going back for your debrief as ever if you have the time if you could leave a review if you could leave some uh, some comments or, or just give us you know a, a star review on whatever um podcast service you use it's always much much appreciated but uh, until next week stay safe everyone uh, and good luck with your studying <laughs>